The VPM Daily Newscast is sponsored by Kanawa Capital Management. Your financial life is unique, complex, and dynamic. Kanawa Capital Management's team of credentialed professionals has been helping its clients build wealth and confidence through personalized planning and informed investing since 1989. Learn more at cancap.com. That's K-A-N-C-A-P.com. You're listening to the VPM Daily Newscast, a recap of today's top stories in Central Virginia. From the VPM Newsroom in Richmond, I'm Benjamin Dolly. Richmond City Council is setting aside roughly $200,000 for a civilian review board for police misconduct, but as Roberta Roldan reports, that's only a third of what was requested. The task force working to set up a civilian review board in Richmond requested $600,000 for six months starting next January but there are still many unanswered questions about how it will function. The task force hasn't decided if the board will look at complaints retroactively or only complaints made after it's created. Council member Stephanie Lynch says the $200,000 could at least get the board established. I think that's the key is to give them enough support to get it up and running, but not to, you know, promise general fund revenue that we're just not, we're not sure about yet. Lynch says more funding could be available next year once the review board's powers and mission are clearer. It's still unclear when Richmond Civilian Review Board will get off the ground. The task force is currently hosting town halls and expects to send final recommendations to city council this summer. Roberto Roldan, VPM News. Virginia Military Institute will remove Stonewall Jackson's name from campus buildings in the wake of allegations of racism. The Richmond Times-Dispatch reports that VMI's Board of Visitors voted over the weekend to remove the Confederate General's name from Old Barracks and Memorial Hall. The school had already removed a statue of Jackson from campus. The board also voted to preserve some works of art honoring cadets who'd fought for the Confederacy while adding some historical context. Governor Ralph Northam ordered an investigation into VMI's culture that should be completed next month. Eight women recently filed a lawsuit against a Virginia summer camp claiming they were sexually abused by staff. As Whitney Evans reports, the complaints raise questions about training and prevention as camps reopen for the summer. Many former campers at Edgar Casey's ARE camp in southwest Virginia say it was a welcoming place to enjoy nature and make friends. But others, including Hannah Furbush, say the cult-like culture led to abuse. You were coerced into thinking that camp was full of well-intentioned people, a community of love and light, where bad behavior can be meditated and hugged away. Steve Esty represents Furbush and the seven other women. He says it appears there was no oversight at the camp. They didn't have any mandated reporter training up until I think probably the last few years. And even then, we're not sure exactly what the nature and extent of the the training was. Rahel Bayer is a consultant for summer camps around the country and a former sex crimes and child abuse prosecutor. In the same way you would ask a camp if they were peanut free, if your child had peanut allergies, Like in the same way that we don't play around with life and death when it comes to allergies, it is important to empower parents to ask questions. She says all camps are different, so there's no set standard for training, but in Virginia they are required to report suspected abuse. Whitney Evans, VPM News. A free downloadable book is now available to prevent accidental plant poisonings. UVA School of Medicine, the Virginia Master Naturalist Program, and UVA Health Blue Ridge Poison Center collaborated on the book. It's in response to the hundreds of reported annual exposures to poisonous plants. The Socrates Project, Poisonous Plants in Virginia, includes photographs of the 25 poisonous plants growing in the Commonwealth. The book can be downloaded from the UVA School of Medicine website. 
As summer approaches, more people are heading to the James River to enjoy the warm weather and cool off in the water. But as reporter Clara Hazlett explains, experts say it's important to consider health and safety while enjoying the river. The most frequent question that we get asked is, is it safe to go in the river? That's Erin Riley. She's the staff scientist at the James River Association. She says most of the time the river is safe, but there are times when it isn't. Riley manages the James River Watch, a program which monitors water levels and the temperature of air and water at different locations along the James. From Memorial to Labor Day, volunteers also test the water for E. coli bacteria, which can indicate there's untreated sewage in the water. Riley says this happens when heavy rains cause the city's sewer system to overflow. When you have those instances, it's not really safe to go swimming in raw sewage. The city of Richmond offers a service to alert residents when overflow events occur. Officials at the Department of Public Utilities recommend staying out of the water for at least 48 hours after a heavy rain. Claire Hazlett, VPM News. Republican Glenn Davis has filed a lawsuit to uncover who called him a, quote, gay Democrat. Some Republicans received anonymous text messages that Davis, who's running for lieutenant governor, says are false. This isn't about being called gay or not being called gay. This is about someone issuing an illegal text without a disclaimer that is done solely for the purpose to defame someone. A rival Republican, Tim Hugo, sent mailers last week that Davis says are homophobic. Hugo denies he's also behind the text. Six Republicans are competing to win the GOP nomination for lieutenant governor at a statewide convention on Saturday. The Science Museum of Virginia promotes itself as a place for everyone to visit and discover together. In Richmond, everyone means a population with a slight African-American majority. In the second installment of a three-part series, Yasmin Juma examines concerns about the museum's record on access, diversity, and fairness. On its website, SMV, the Science Museum of Virginia, pledges a commitment to providing accessible and inclusive experiences by working hard to ensure it's creating relevant and meaningful ways for all guests to interact with the museum. But for non-English speakers, a small but growing population that includes immigrants, transplants from other cities, and international students at the area's universities, obstacles begin with the website. Martina Hernandez is a graduate research assistant studying neuroscience at Virginia Commonwealth University. She's fully bilingual in Spanish and English. This is all in English. 20 minutes later, four clicks away from the homepage, Hernandez finds the first mention of translation under membership. None of the text navigating to or on this page is available in Spanish, except... It's right in parentheses for click here under families with electronic benefit transfer cards, which is also kind of a prejudice, assuming that all Hispanic families are on some sort of assistantship. Last October, I mentioned the website's language barrier during an interview for the story with museum director Rich Conti. Well, that's definitely something we could improve upon. So we'll, we'll take a look at that. We literally are going to introduce a whole new website as early as this month. So I think that's definitely something that we should do better with. In February of 2021, the museum launched a revamped site. It includes none of the changes Conti told me officials would consider. The homepages of other public institutions, including the Richmond City and Henrico County Libraries, and the Regional Public Transit System, offer visitors the option to use Google Translate, a program that instantly presents information in dozens of languages. 
Within SMB, people have also raised concerns about its commitment to inclusion and equity. Over the last year, former Science Museum employees approached me to share their stories about disparities in treatment, disciplinary actions, and advancement opportunities for people of color. This led me to examine whether this public institution serves everybody the way it's supposed to. Here's some of what I found. SMV hired two administrative assistants two days apart. From the beginning, the white employee Ella Bruno sat at a desk outside the museum director's office. The black employee, Sumaya Hassan, did not. I was told that I'd be working downstairs in the basement, which I was like, okay, like red flag number one. Hassan told me they talked with black office mates who said this happened pretty often. Conti said he wasn't aware that among employees, it's common knowledge people of color work in the basement. No, I think that's silly. That's definitely not. I don't know. And I'm not, again, sure where you're hearing that from, but no, that's, that's goofy. I asked him whether shortcomings might exist in the way the museum carries out its mission statements, budgets, and codes of conduct around treating all people with equity and respect. Mm, nope. Brona, the white employee hired alongside Hassan, said she has benefited from preferential treatment. She said another colleague, a person of color, told her a supervisor wrote them up for being late to work. I fell asleep twice, two separate days at work, and I only got a verbal warning. Um, and I feel like falling asleep is worse. For Nick Ikanem, now a neuroscientist, working at the museum sounded like the job of a lifetime. I wanted to curate and create exhibits and ways to engage the public with real factual science in fun and ingestible ways. The museum hired Ikanem on a five-month contract to communicate its mission, including through Question Your World, a weekly science segment that airs on this station. Ikanem, who's Black, said it wasn't long before reality began to intrude upon this dream job. If I walked past somebody, like, in the hall or on the stairwell, they wouldn't know who I was, and they would be confused as to why I was there, and I would have to, like, let them know that I work there, <laughs> I'm allowed to be here. Black people face microaggressions, like this, at workplaces large and small. Before the pandemic, the Science Museum employed about 120 people. Fewer than 30 were people of color. Everybody I saw upstairs in the offices was white. All four of the former employees I interviewed on the record say this lack of representation and leadership concerned them a lot. There's an established grievance process for employees of state agencies. But the museum staff whose concerns sparked this story told me they feared losing their jobs or leadership opportunities if they spoke up. When Akanem's contract expired, they stayed in touch with manager and chief scientist Jeremy Hoffman. He encouraged an open exchange of ideas. After the police murder of George Floyd, Ikanem emailed Hoffman to ask whether SMV had any response to the movement for Black Lives, like offering a platform for Black scientists to promote their work through the museum. And then Jeremy asked me what the museum should do to alleviate this racial inequity. Ikanem said they wondered why is he asking a Black person to solve this with no offer of compensation? When I brought this to Hoffman's attention during an interview last November, he apologized and acknowledged it was inappropriate to request unpaid emotional and professional work from a person of color. In the next and final installment, we'll discuss how another state museum is grappling with race. 
We'll also hear about what it takes to achieve equity and inclusion in public-facing institutions. Yasmin Jama, VPM News. Special thanks to VPM's Ben Pavier for audio of last year's protests in support of Black Lives. Listen to the final part in the series tomorrow. This is VPM News. This newscast was recorded on... Tuesday, May 4th at 6 p.m. Some of these stories may have changed from the time you've heard them. You can stay connected to what matters by heading to vpm.org news or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MyVPM. VPM. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.